like to read a couple of verses tonight back to back in Luke 5, Luke 5 and verse 31. Luke 5 and verse 31. What I want to speak on tonight, actually, it shows my hymns carefully, the first one and the second one. Sometimes people like that. They like ways in which they can figure out what the guy's going to speak on through the hymns tonight. You could, maybe not with the second hymn, but I'll go on to speak about that as well. I want to speak about the physician tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ as the physician or the doctor. Um, and so I'm going to read these verses, very famous verses. When you think of Christ as a doctor, as the physician, these are the, probably one of the first verses that come to mind. Luke 5 and verse 31. And Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I have not, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We'll read that one more time. And Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. I chose this verse tonight, the idea of a physician, uh, because it's simple. Anyone could understand this tonight. If you haven't been to a doctor yet, you'd say that's rare in life, even if you're young, if you haven't been to a doctor. Um, I'm adverse to going to doctors. Even I go to them. But here, even so in our Bible, just to think about it, the New Testament, I think about 25% of it was written by a doctor. That's amazing. The rest by fishermen. Quite a bit of an occupation disparity there. But you'd say it was either a fisherman, a doctor, or uh, as you would say, one of the greatest intelligences that we know of in the Bible. But you'd say a profession that, that God used in the Bible. Not only that, but sometimes I'm reminded of this. There are times when we can read something in the Bible and we glance over it. And it, and it could have saved you. And it could have saved others. I think of a man named James Y. Simpson. And it wasn't until the 1850s when he came up with the idea of chloroform. You know what they use chloroform for? It's, a, it's an, anesthesia, an anesthesia, right? Think about the next time you had your molar work down. Or, or the next time you go in with a broken arm. You'd say, you don't want them just to start working on it. You, you want them to be put to sleep maybe, you know? But he got the idea because he saw the way that God did it. God put Adam to sleep and then he worked on him. He said, wow, if only they had figured out. There it was in Genesis. And yet it took us another 5,800 years to figure it out. You'd say, but, but even unique in the Bible, I think of the, the fact of what Leviticus tells us, that the life is in the blood. And every time I go to my barber shop, I'm reminded by that swirl of red and blue that barbers not only used to cut your hair, but they used to bleed you to get rid of your diseases. And you know what? They never cured anybody with disease. They just killed a lot of people. You'd say, if only they had read the Bible. If only they had read scripture and would have known that, that taking the blood from the person never cures anything because the life is in the blood. You'd say, oh, the medical things that this world would have known if only they had read the Bible. I ask you tonight, if only you were to open these pages, would there be something here tonight that would, would go against your bias, would go against what you have believed to this point in life? If you based everything that you thought solely on what is held between the two covers in this book, would it change anything? Because I come to this and I say here, this is unique. We sang tonight, the great physician. You know where that's found in the Bible? It's not, just so you know. A lot of Christians think it is. Never calls the Lord Jesus the great physician. He's called a physician. 
And you'd say, I wonder why we added grape. We added grape because the problem that he deals with is the greatest problem known to man. It is the problem that fills pediatric hospitals. It's the problem that fills Valley Hospital. It's the problem that fills hospices. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's the problem of sin. And here, you'd say, great is the problem. And we're not speaking about, you know, sometimes I don't even like the term of using great physician. It almost mean like he was a physician above others when it comes to this problem. There's only one person who can deal with the sin of the soul. It's the man who has put the breath in your lungs. And the Bible says here about this physician, he says, they that are whole don't need a physician. It's those that are sick. I have not come to call the righteous or the good, but sinners to repentance. And that's where he starts. And he mentions this. And you'd say, he's the only man who offers both the diagnosis and he also offers the cure. And to think about it, he uses these words so often, sin and to come. And he says in John 15, if I had never come into the world, they never would have had sin. If I had not come, they would have never had sin. And in our verse, he says, I did not come for good people. I came for sinners. And, and, and to sum it all up, we said it in other nights, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you say to think about that, because that has to go against what most churches are teaching today, that if he did not come for good people, why do we champion them? Why do we place them above everyone else? Why do we attribute that the word saint means someone who has done well in life when the greatest saints on earth are just sinners saved by grace? Why is it that we're looking to be better if Christ came for the worse? Why are we trying to ascend to heaven when Christ came down to this earth to die for sinners? Why is it? I ask you that question as we look at these things tonight. I want to speak tonight about second opinions because that's classic in the medical profession. I want to speak about sickness tonight because that's what it is, sin. And I want to talk about the recipients for this cure. They are called sinners in our verse. We used to have hymn books that we used to use here. We... We stopped using them because we only ever sang five in them. So we're kind of expanding our singing horizon. But on the front of that hymn book, it used to say, life is a vapor. Life is but for a moment. It's just a vapor. Death is sure. Death is sure. One out of every one person dies. Sin is the cause. Christ is the cure. The hymn books were well worth their weight in gold just for that saying. Life is but a vapor, death is sure. Sin's the cause, Christ the cure. I want to speak about second opinions, sickness, and sermons. Second opinions. I love the way the verse starts. Because how often you'd say, you go and you hear something. You, you hear something from a man who, who, who has medical expertise. And if it is good news, that's all you need to hear. But if it is bad, more than not, people always say, I'm going to get a second opinion. I'm going to get a second opinion on this. I, I remember being in a hospital and they wanted, to, they wanted to do a huge incision on my arm. And I remember the one physician wanted to do that. And he said, well, get, just ask for another doctor to come in. Another doctor come in and he thought that was ludicrous. And so my arm's still here today. He'd say second opinions sometimes are key in life. You see, it may be something you do when it would come to just something that would be a, something that would, would hurt this body. But, but I like the way the verse starts. It just says, Jesus answered. Jesus answered. I go through my New Testament. And when it comes to everything from death to demons, when it comes to deafness, all the way down to just people who, who have no hope. They have, they've had injuries or illnesses that have made them paralyzed or, 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 or problems that have made it incapable of being part of society over and over again. 
Whenever these maladies are presented, when the sicknesses come, we're just, we're introduced to those, that, that two word introduction, Jesus answer. What a sweet way to start any statement. Think about the authority in that. Here's the man who does not need a second opinion. He does not need an opinion because he speaks in truth. He speaks in dogmas. He speaks with authority. Here is the one who knows the first from the last, the beginning from the end. It says Jesus answered. These individuals who had, you'd say, were, were seeking to just malign him. And he says Jesus answered. And of all the things that you could say could have come from that, that this second opinion, you'd say it wouldn't matter what was the cause or what was going to be brought up here. But second opinions, you know what they do? They were often looking for just another, something else to hang on to. Give me hope in this life. How many people have known someone here and they, they get the diagnosis of some of the leading killers in this life? Cancer, heart disease, or something like else. And you'd say, even the second opinion is worth it just to have a little hope. Even if the first opinion is right, to get a second opinion that would give you a little bit of hope, maybe for a week or maybe two. Christ doesn't offer second opinions because he tells you the problem and he tells you the cure. He tells you what will happen if you die in your sins, that where he is, you will never be. And yet he tells us in truth so plain that the son of man must go. He must go to Calvary to offer his life as a ransom for sinners. And you say so significant. We are looking for something else. We want something else. And yet, here contained in these covers, it's not only the problem, the prescription. And it comes from the words of the surgeon himself. The great physician says, they that are whole don't need a doctor. They that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I sang that second hymn tonight. We sing it often. Actually, I don't think I've ever sung it before in a gospel meeting tonight. We praise thee, O God, for the son of thy love, for Jesus who died and has now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. And you'd say, why choose that tonight? That song was written by a doctor, W.P. Mackay, William Patton Mackay, if you want the full name. He was born on May 17, 1839, and he died on August 22, 1881. He was a young man when he died. He was born there in Montrose, Scotland. And at the age of 17, he left home. He left home to go to the University of Edinburgh for, to go study, to be a physician. And when he left home, his mother did what many a mother has done before. She gave him a Bible. And on the inset of the Bible, like many else have done, she wrote his name. She wrote her name. And then she wrote a Bible verse. And W.P. Mackay's mother gave him that Bible. At the age of 17... As he headed off to go to university, and that was it, the one parting gift. He went to go through four years of university. In his own words, he said, somewhere in those four years, he pawned off that Bible in order to accrue money for something else. Some say it was something malicious. Some say it was just that he needed cash. He did pawn it off and never to see it again, in his own words. He then became one of the top surgeons in Edinburgh. Uh, he worked at a very prestigious hospital. I mean, needless to say, this is over 150 years ago, but at one of the top hospitals in that country, he performed things there that accredited him as being a fantastic physician. There was one day, they said it was in his mid-30s, when there was brought in a man that day who had been crushed from his legs down. 
absolutely crushing the legs down. And, and in Mr. Mackay's own words, he said, the demeanor of that man was far too good for a man who had that serious of an injury. And just because physicians do this, he said, ah, oh, how you doing today? He goes, well, we'll be able to take care of you here. We'll, we'll get you through this. And he said to Dr. Mackay, he said, he goes, I don't, he goes, tell me the truth. He goes, I don't, I don't have any time for, for, for things. He goes, I know where I'm going. He goes, I know where I'm going when I die. He goes, just, you can, you can lay it on me. You can tell me what the truth is. He goes, I'm not fearful of this. He goes, I know where I'm going to be the minute I die. Dr. Mackay says, well, he goes, uh, he goes, I wouldn't put your life past today. You have today at best. He says, is there anything that we can do for you? He goes, yeah. He goes, I have a two-week paycheck in my pocket. If you could take that and give it to my landlady, it'll meet the rent's demands. He goes, and tell her to send the book. And he said, what book? He said, just tell her. She'll know what to do. He gave it to one of the officiating nurses, and the nurses took care of that duty. Mr. Mackay went on his duties for the rest of that day and his rounds. And rarely did he ever go back to visit a patient, but this time he did because of the man's assurance of where he was going to be, and maybe because it reminded him of his mother. As he returned to that man, the man had already passed from this life. He had already died. Mr. Mackay said, did he ever get what he was asking for? And the nurse said, yes, he did. He goes, what was the book? Was it a bank book? Was it a checkbook? Was it a, was it a journal? And the nurse said, you can see for yourself. It's underneath his pillow. Mr. Mackay went over to the man who was deceased there, and he reached underneath his pillow, and he pulled out a Bible, and he opened the front cover, and he saw his name, his mother's name, and the verse she had put in it. He'd say, if that didn't save someone, what would? He got saved. It wasn't because he saw his name in a Bible. His name was in that Bible far before his mom ever penned it. What about you tonight? You say, you know what they said to the Lord Jesus? They said, physician, heal yourself. You know what they were saying? They said, give us evidence that you can do this. They said that to the Lord Jesus. They said, just physician, give us evidence that you can do this. Show us your repertoire. Show us your resume. Tell us what you've done before. And you'd say, in the case of this doctor, you'd say, tremendous. It's almost a story. You'd say, had it not come from his lips, I never would have believed it. And yet tonight, Greater than me showing you a Bible that was penned to you 20 years ago. Greater than that, the greatest sign and evidence known to man come from the lips of the Lord Jesus, that he did not come to call the good. He came to call sinners. The greatest evidence is Calvary, undenied by anybody here, that a man went to the cross. And if doctors today take the Hippocratic Oath, and when they do that, they swear that they don't know everything, and yet they're willing to do all in their means to save lives, one man, one physician took the ultimate oath and he knew everything that was in your desperately wicked soul and yet he still went to Calvary to die for it. He knew all that you would do in this life. He knew whether you would believe him or whether you would not and he still went to Calvary. He still loved you. He still died for your sins. You say, did he do all that he could? He did because he laid down his life. This physician did that. Because this physician didn't come for good people. He didn't come for whole people. He came for sick people. And you'd say second opinions in this life are worthless when you have the written word of God, when you have the fact that Jesus answers all those that call. Anybody who comes unto him, he never turns away. If you're not saved tonight, it is because you have not come to Christ. You have not sought him as a savior. I had an uncle and he used to say all the time, are you saved? And people would say yes. And then he would say, were you ever lost? Sometimes he would say to people, have you ever been cured of your sins? People would say yes. And he would say, were you ever sick? 
Because if you were never lost, the Son of Man did not come to seek and to save you. If you have never been sick, if sin is not your greatest problem, and if it is not in your own ability to save your soul, then this physician did not come for you. Because in the words of Jesus Christ, I came not for those that are whole. They don't need a physician. I came for those that are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The second opinion, worthless, when we have the words of Christ. Jesus answers, the sickness is so simple. It's something that plagues every heart here. Every heart has sin. Every heart has had it from the day they were born. And every heart, you'd say, has it innumerably. You'd say no one can count it. No one can weigh it. They tell me sometimes at the end of this life that sins are weighed. And they're weighed against what? Against what? What are you putting on the other side of the scale? No accountant would put gold on one side and tar on the other. No, no bank manager would take your dollar bills and turn around and give you monopoly money. Why are we taking God's scales and replacing things that we have done from our sinful actions and souls and expecting him to reward us with something good? God expects one payment for sin. He takes one thing. He takes one person, Jesus Christ. And what he did at Calvary, and you'd say the sickness, it plagues all of humanity. It is epidemic. It has spread across this world from day one until, until the last day that we're here. You'd say, sin is the problem. But, oh, my friend, to know that Christ is the cure tonight, to know that you don't need a building, that you don't need a confession, that you don't need a sign from the sky, you don't need your Bible written with your name on it unexpectedly because God speaks to individuals tonight. He comes clear and he comes right to you tonight. He speaks to you as though he knew you by name. And he would say to you, I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call you. I have not come for people who are whole. I've come for you. Time tonight, my friend, to realize that it's not just others that are sick. It's not others that are sinner. It's me, the sinner. It's me, the unrighteous. But to know that Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, the righteous one for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. The second opinion the sickness, the sinner, the sinner. I look at these verses often in Luke chapter 5. I, 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 I've preached on them. I've used them in Sunday school work. And the stories here that precede this are by far some of the best stories that we have in our Bible. And you'd say the sinner is rarely identified by, you say, and rarely do it, does it add up? Do I ever see that I'm the person that he came to save? Because I I see a standard that I'm comparing myself to others. I'm not as sick as you are. I'm, I'm not as close to death as you are. And yet you're looking at salvation tonight as something that will keep you out of hell. And if only you would realize that salvation is something that brings you into a relationship with this physician, Jesus Christ. It's something for life. It's something for earth. And I'm reminded of what is said in Luke 5. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Don't pray for those who are dead. He only has power on earth. That's according to his words. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Sometimes I catch myself. We have prayer meetings on Thursday night, and you hear someone died, and you're almost, because you've prayed for them so long, you're almost about to pray for them. And yet you pray for their family. You pray for those who are around them, who they've left behind. But there's nothing that you can pray for them 
However you leave this life is how you will be for all eternity. My friend, to God tonight that you would leave this life not losing your soul, but losing your sin. Because this man did not come for righteous people. He came for sinners. And the story that is told right there in Luke 5, the story that is told about a man let down through the ceiling, and he's paralyzed. You'd say one of the, the greatest illnesses, diseases known to man, where nothing could be done. He reminds me of a thief on a cross who is paralyzed because of nails. This man's paralyzed because of an illness. And yet Christ looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And people around him, they say blasphemy. They said only God forgives sins. We all agree on that tonight, that Jesus Christ was God. And he could forgive sins. But then Christ says these remarkable words. What is easier to say? What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say that the man was paralyzed, get off your mat and walk. If you saw a man get off his mat tonight, if we brought in a paralyzed man, if we went down to Valley, or we went down to one of those hospice centers, and we brought someone in here, and we raised him, guaranteed you'd come back to every meeting I had for the next year. And yet, for the Lord Jesus Christ to raise that paralyzed man, it was just the words that come from his lips. For the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive that man's sins, it meant he had to go to the cross of Calvary. What is easier? Physician, what is easier? Healing the blind, the lame, the sick? What is easier? Restoring life? What is easier? The paralyzed? Those things were easy. To save your soul meant that this physician died at the place called Calvary. He died for your sins. The remedy is offered to anyone tonight. Life is but a vapor. Death is sure. Sin the cause. Christ the cure. You've heard it. You've heard it from this word tonight. You'd say if something spectacular happened tonight, unprecedented in this world, you'd say maybe I would, I would change my mind. I know from the Bible that you wouldn't. It wouldn't matter what happened tonight. Nothing would lead you to repentance. The Bible says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And the Lord Jesus Christ says here, I did not, they that are whole don't need a doctor, but they that are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to change their mind, to repent. To, to let down their bias, to discard their, 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 their cloaks, the things that have used as mass in their life, to realize that the problem inside of them has plagued humanity and that the wages of sin is death. And tonight to realize for the first time that the gift of God is eternal life because he did not come to call the right, he came to call the wrong. He didn't come to call good people, he came to call sinners. And when Christ died on that tree, he died for you. Great to see those that are out this evening. If you have your Bibles or you have it on your phone or in your hand, as far as a Bible book, we're going to read one verse tonight found in the book of John. So if you look in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And chapter 3. John's Gospel and chapter 3 and verse 36. 
he that believeth on the Son, Christ, hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I'm going to read the verse one more time. If you're not saved today, as Brother Dave mentioned, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Uh, let me read these words again, and I just want you to really soak in the truth that John is writing here in verse 36. He that believeth on the Son, that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This verse is a solemn verse. This verse is a serious verse. This verse is a searching verse. Because in this particular verse, we see two categories of people. There are those in this verse that believe on the Son. There are those in this verse that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, what do they believe? There are those in this verse, as John has been just communicating the story of Nicodemus and coming to know uh, what Christ has done for this earth, as Jesus tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And John is saying, he that believes on the son has life. And there are those in this audience today that have come to a time in their life when they have trusted and they believe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is asked, what have they believed about Christ? They believed about Christ, what God said about Christ. How he came into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. They believed the thought and the, and the, and the work of Christ on a cross, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And they came for the first time in their life to understand one truth, that it was their sin that placed Christ upon a cross. And that that God, when he looked down upon sinners, provided a sacrifice, provided a substitute for sinners, and that the person of Christ died for their sins. He was buried for their sins, and he rose again for their sins. And those people, he that believeth on the Son, that's what John is saying, hath life. She that believes on the Son has life. And the writer continues as he continues the psalm thought, but here's the second side to the story. Here's the second category to this particular audience and really across the world. If you were to take the earth and split it right in half, there are those that believe in the sun and they're going to heaven. They don't believe in their works. They don't believe in their church attendance. They don't believe in how much good they can do and add up to merit eternal life. They believe solely in the person of Christ. That's what the writer says. Friend, listen, that is what God's word says. It's not what I say. God says it. I believe it, one writer said, and that settles it. And God says through the word of God, he that, she that, believes on the Son, hath everlasting life. God said that. That's one section. The other category that is found here tonight, and the other category across the world, if we're to split it into two characteristics or two categories of people, is this category. It says, and he that believeth not the Son, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life or shall not see heaven, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The thought is this, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Present tense. So when God looks down upon this earth, as it were, the wrath of God abides. It hovers over the person 
who has not come to trust Christ. It hovers over the person who is trusting in their own work. It hovers over the person that thinks they're going to get to heaven their way. And they take away and they negate everything that the word of God teaches about how to get to heaven. Friend, I'll, I'll speak very clearly and very simply today. You will get to heaven solely, solely. That means one way through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God says that. I don't say that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And you today, friend, can for the first time understand the truth that Jesus Christ died on a cross and he died to pay for my sins and he died for my past sins. He died for my present sins. He died for all my future sins. And if I come to trust in him, if I ever pass from this life into the next, I will wake up in heaven, not on some shelf somewhere, not to await perhaps mercy from God that's nowhere found in scripture. It's either heaven above for the believer or it's hell beneath for the unbeliever. And God's word is saying, and the encouraging thing is this, and the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is this. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, has eternal life, is born again, not born into sin like they were born the first time. They have now had a new birth and they are born again. They are bound for heaven. Why? Because Christ died. He that believes on the Son, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, hath everlasting life. And that is truth found, not from what I say, but that is truth found from the Word of God. You might ask the question, why are there gospel meetings held at two weeks a year or three weeks a year or really across the world? There are gospel meetings held in different churches or under different tents or all over the world where individuals are going into the world and following what Christ said, going into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell the world about Christ. Find people who would have spat upon my son and tell them all about the person of Christ. Why is it that people go out and they share the gospel? I'll tell you one of the main reasons. One, they love souls. Number two, they love Christ. Number three, they love believers. They love Christians all over the world. They love to encourage Christians. Number four is this, that that soul that you have will one day leave time. And the solemnity tonight, tonight is this, is that there could be individuals right in these seats tonight. You say, oh, there's no way I'm going to live for as long as I can. I'm going to live in my 80s, my 90s. I'm going to live to 100. But there could be one soul tonight that tonight is the night. And God is calling. And it's the last time God is calling. And your soul could be lost and enter eternity ever too late. Some of you know the story that just went out this week. And we certainly uh, paid attention to that story as uh, Friday evening. I was in the city of New York uh, late after gospel meeting with... um, some friends here from this particular room right now, and uh, it was hot. <laughs> it's hot up here, actually, right now. And Saturday, we spent the whole day biking into the city, and it was hot. And I was getting texts from people saying, listen, there's a warning. There's a health warning. You need to pay attention. You need to drink water. You need to be hydrated, or you can pass out. And I thought, really, that I was feeling okay, but actually, I did throw up uh, when we got home. I wasn't feeling very well. Uh, but there's a man here, uh, former New York Giants, Mitch Petrus. I say it very respectfully. But I'll tell you this, at 32, and I'm sure, and I don't know football as well as I should, or I, don't, I mean, I don't know baseball, I, don't, I mean, I really don't know sports as well as I should, but this man here, former New York Giants, uh, Mitch Petrus, at 32, I'm sure in flawless health, because he passed from time into eternity, and it said that there was no, it wasn't a health concern, he had a heat stroke, he died from heat. And I asked the question today, as I consider that, 32, Death, friend, no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if he's 32. I just went to a funeral in Iowa of a young man, uh, Hudson, and I believe he was 11, 
or 12, he was at that age, and he died from a vehicle hitting them on their way to a seed source event, on their way to share the gospel, and a truck came over a highway and hit him and took him into eternity, and he had just come to trust Christ just a year before. That's the grace of God. Now that young boy is in heaven. Let me ask the question. Where would you be, dear one, if it was your time tonight? And you just went out into eternity. You know the beautiful thing about the gospel is this. There are people here tonight, and I know you'd say this, uh, Matt, you know, it doesn't matter what time my time comes. It's appointed unto men once a time. It doesn't matter the time because I know for certain, for sure, that I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me. Because he that, listen, hath the Son, Jesus, has life. That's what God's word says. I didn't make this up. This is found right in the Bible that you own today, that churches across the world own. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I can go all the way and God is speaking. And God is saying, not me, God is saying that he that has Christ has life. He that hath the Son hath life. One might ask the question, well, this problem of sin that Dave spoke about, as God looks down, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As you guys, perhaps, and you're listening to the speaker and you're saying, I know you've spoken about that we've all fallen short. I know you've spoken that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know that you've spoken that we are born in sin. But how serious is this sin? Listen, God cannot accept sin into his holy heaven. God is holy, and you and I are not. God is God, and you and I are ungodly. And that's why we read in the book of Romans in chapter 5 that Christ died for the ungodly, people who are not like God. And here the writer is saying, he that believes on the Son, Christ, hath everlasting life. Your sins, friend, will never get to heaven. And I meet individuals all the time, whether I'm at Pacific Garden Mission, and there's a few hundred different individuals, or whether I'm speaking in a church setting just like this, or under a tent, or meeting with someone perhaps on the street, or working with someone at school in the corporate environment, whatever it is, and individuals will say, hey, my sins are not as bad, but if you only knew his sins, and they point, and meanwhile, three fingers are pointing back. I meet individuals all the time at Pacific Garden Mission, murderers. I, I won't even list the sins, actually, there are children here. Use your imagination, and there they are. And I'll meet with someone, and their family has disowned them, and they've been abandoned, and they understand the ramifications, the, the problem of sin in their life, the destruction of sin. And I ask them, uh, listen, do you feel like you're a sinner? They say, yeah, yeah, but if you only knew her sins right there, like, like I stole something, but that person took a life, and they have this hierarchy of sin, and they look at sins in different categories. Listen, God looks down upon the earth and he looks for one that does good. And Romans says, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. And so sin, friend, is sin. And God will never let sin into heaven. And that's why God took the punishment of sin and he placed it on the son, the person of Christ. And Jesus Christ bore his, in his body sins that were for the earth, sins of the earth, sins of the world. And he bore that on his person and he paid for sins on a cross and he died and he was buried and he came right back to life, and he was raised again. And here the writer is saying, he that believes on the Son hath everlasting life. God loves sinners. Sinners hated God. God looked down upon sinners and was willing to pour his love upon sinners, and yet sinners hated God. I was, uh, last night, uh, sorry, last night, not yesterday. Uh, so last night, Friday night, we went to the city, and it was, I think I was home at 1.30 or so, and then uh, David... <laughs> Got us up nice and early at 7 o'clock in the morning. 
And we uh, decided to go into the city again with bikes. So it was David, myself, and my friend Paul, who's visiting, who just had a birthday. With all the heat advisories, <laughs> we decided to go. And quite frankly, and I communicated it to both David and Paul, I said, uh, the last thing I want to do really is ride bike at 100 degrees. And I, I mean, as we're setting up the bikes, as we're putting air in the tires, we're dripping sweat from the head, all three of us. And, uh, but uh, Paul had never been to New York City, and it was his first time, and no better person to bring us to the city than David. He has all the facts and the, the stats of the city, and so it was cool to listen to him and just fascinating to hear all the, the information about this phenomenal city, New York City. And so we rode bike. I think we rode 24 miles or so, and uh, I guess I followed my fast. I was just drinking water, uh, but it was very dangerous, okay? But I would never have done that if I did not love Paul. It's Paul's birthday. Paul and I are good friends. We've known each other for a few years. There's relationship. There's trust that's been built. There's confidence with one with another. We have open conversations, transparent conversations. We can be vulnerable with each other as believers. And we love each other for who we are. And it's a reciprocal relationship. It's a mutual relationship. If I didn't like Paul, I would never have gone to New York City. Guarantee it. Not, not yesterday. Not in that heat. I'd maybe wait till tomorrow when it's supposed to be a little lower temperature. And I go right by myself. <laughs> no need to ride bike and sweat and, uh, I mean, not, don't even be recognizable as a human being, quite frankly. We were just disgusting. But it's because I love Paul. And I was willing to do something for him because I have a relationship with him. When you look at God's word, you'll understand one thing. And here's the, the, thing, that, the, the, the thing that every believer across the world finds so profound, and we try to understand it, and really, quite frankly, we can't understand it, is that when God looked to sinners, sinners hated God. Sinners were, were, were separated with God and God looked down upon people that would have rejected his son and the relationship wasn't reciprocal. God loved sinners who hated him. God loved sinners who spat on his son. God loved sinners knowing that his, the sinner would take his son and pierce his hands with nails. God loved the sinner knowing that the sinner would pierce his son with nails in his feet and would play the crown of thorns on his son. And yet God loved people who rejected him. Despise and rejected of men. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. You can search in your own word in the word of God in the scripture. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and equated with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He's despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, verse 4. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And the very son of God despised. The very son of God rejected of men. The very son of God, a man of sorrows. You say, well, why was he so sorrowful? He was sorrowful, friend, because of your sin. He was sorrowful, friend, because of my sin, the one who stands right before you. He was sorrowful because of David's sins, the sins he did yesterday, the sins he'll do in an hour, and the sins he'll do for the rest of his lifetime. He was sorrowful for his sins, yet he paid for his sins on a cross. He that hath the son hath everlasting life. And Romans chapter 5 tells us this truth. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man. Some would even dare to die. But God, I love it, but God demonstrates, commendeth his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, listen, add something to the work of salvation, and you're not going to heaven. Bible says that, not me. 
modify God's plan of salvation in our human efforts, in our human works, and you take God's great plan of salvation that was created before an angel's wing ever cleft eternity, and you add to that, and you take away from that, or whatever you want to do, and you set standards and expectations on the grace of God, and you'll miss it. He that, what scripture say? He that hath the Son hath life. And the message that is, although men would have rejected Christ, and they did reject Christ, they rejected him at his birth, they rejected him at his death, even so, God commands, he demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just today, there was a young man, and at 14 years old, he heard that verse that we read together, that I just quoted, but God, listen, Romans chapter 5. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ, the person of Christ, died for us. And he heard that. And after the meeting where there was someone preaching the gospel, just like I am doing right now, this 14-year-old man came with two uh, older ladies, and they came to the person who was speaking. And they said to the person, uh, this boy has something to say. And the person said, um, oh, what is it? And that person, that young man at 14 years old said these words, I want to be saved right now. Amen. That's right. Is there someone here today and you want to be saved right now? You're tired of being tired in your sin. You're tired perhaps of waiting to be saved. You know that the Son has come to seek and to save them that are lost. You've heard that message. And tonight, above all priorities, above the priorities of preparing for school in the fall, above the priorities of what you're going to do in the next hour with your friends or your family or your parents, the most important thing as you came here, perhaps unbeknownst to anyone, uh, unknown to anyone, yet God knows. And in your heart, deep inside, you want to get saved right now. The speaker Although speaking from Romans 5, he just asked the person to read this verse. And the person read this verse, Romans, uh, sorry, John chapter 3 and verse 36. And the boy read it like this. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And then he read it again. And the person speaking said to him, he said, who's that he? And the young boy at 14 said, that he has to be a saved person. He that hath the Son, Christ, hath life. And the speaker said it again, but who is that he? Listen, friend, if you never place yourself in that he, you'll never have it. Because you could say, yes, he that hath the Son hath life. Those are Christians that are on the way to heaven, but it's not you. You've never taken God's work of salvation personally. Yes, people have sinned, but I'm not a sinner. Christ died for the ungodly. And the young boy read it just like this. And he put his name right there. And he said, he that hath the son hath everlasting life. And a little smile, a little twinkle came upon him. And he said these words, I'm going to heaven. Amen. And the speaker said, well, why are you going to heaven? And just with a little tear, he said these words, because Jesus died for me. And this says right here, he that hath the son hath life. And a dear older lady gave him a hug and saying those words, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. And she began to sing a hymn and she just kissed him. What happened there? That young man 
became born again. That young man has a new life. That young man stopped trying to get to heaven and trusted and relied and had faith in the finished work of Christ. And he trusted, not what the preacher said. Friend, listen, the preacher's words could never save him. The preacher's gift can never save a person. The preacher's exercise can never save a person. The preacher reciting scripture can never save a person. But God's word will save you. And that's what he trusted. He that hath the son hath life and is on his way to heaven. God's saving. Do you want to be saved right now? Because you can be. That's the message of the gospel. It's a free gift. And you can just take God at his word. What's the remaining of the verse? He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Are you trusting in your works, dear friend? Are you trusting in everything you've ever done to get to heaven? Because there's nothing that we've done that ever compares to what Christ has done and what God has done for you. And the Bible is very clear that he that hath the Son, he that has Christ tonight, and solely Christ. It doesn't say he that hath Christ, or he that hath the Son, and his money. He that hath the Son, and all the times he went to church. He that hath the Son, and all the times he prayed to some statue, or whatever the cost may be. It doesn't say that. It says, he that hath the Son, Christ, solely hath life. Everlasting life. Not some temporal thing, but everlasting life. Saved on the spot. If they were to pass this life and enter eternity, they're bound for heaven on the spot. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world. David mentioned it. To save sinners. The solemnity is this, and I close. He that believeth on Christ, he that believeth on the Son, hath everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 36. Friend, listen, you search it on your own. Search truth. It's what God says. And he that believeth not the Son, doesn't believe Christ, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That person can change that situation very quick by coming to trust Christ. He that hath the Son, Christ, hath everlasting life. Let's pray.